The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. We're back in the studio. We I'm, are. I'm so excited. I feel like I haven't seen you in forever. I know. I am too. And I kind of like doing it just face to face. I mean, Absolutely. doing it over Skype, it's like, yeah, you know. Well, doing it over Skype, you, off, you also have to realize that I'm doing it in the middle of a rehab center. Right. And not to say there's a lack of distractions to get me away from my thought process. And there are lots of times where I'm like, I don't remember what I just said because I hear, you know, students and counselors over here. I hear, you know, conversations happening over here. And it's just like being here is nice. And also I like the sound quality better than doing it over Skype. And um, I'm sorry if anyone out there has heard of any of our little technical glitches in our past episodes. Yeah, I think it's been fine. And it was funny because what I was doing when we did it last time is I kept switching off my microphone so you wouldn't get any background noise. So it was funny. I had to cut out a little section because you heard the dog barking. I did. (laughs) And we had that whole conversation about the dog, but the dog didn't actually end up in the recording. So I just kind of cut it out. Oh, that's really good. Okay, that, I would start laughing hysterically. Donut the dog. That's her name, Donut. Whatever. How, how'd they come up with Donut? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. This was before they had kids. But, you know, let's look at it. My grandkids are Pixie, Strider, and Willow. Well, there so, you go. Uh, donut the dog, you know. Well, Donut you the dog luckily didn't end up in our podcast. No, she didn't. She's funny. So... I don't. I know you have some things you want to talk about. I've also got some things that I want to talk about. Um, you first. Well, okay. We we are going to um, hopefully be able to interview Florida's Attorney General on our podcast. I think we've alluded to having a very special guest, and that's who we're attempting to get on because she was instrumental in closing down the pill mills in Florida mm-hmm. when Florida was number one in pill mills. And she's also all over a lot of the brand new synthetic creations that get sold in convenience stores. And so she, you know, has outlawed a lot of those formulations. Um, She has been named to the President's Council on Opioids. That's so cool. I know. And so I decided to watch the third meeting of this council. Mm -hmm. The first meeting, which was held back in June, was all about um, different groups that support people with addiction, um, not not exactly like Learn to Cope, but similar. They, they have their own kind of support things. The last one, the one that was a couple weeks ago, um, was about, it was basically about alternatives to opioids. Now, you know, one of the points that they were making is that when people have pain, And we've talked about this before. You got to address it. Sure. Somehow you got to address it. But one of the things that a couple different companies brought up was that um, they have alternative medications that can deal with pain, but are not as addictive and dangerous as opioids. And they absolutely exist. And it's funny because Purdue Pharma, the makers of OxyContin, just so happened to make a... uh, a medication that's an alternative to opiates that handles pain. Right. I thought that was ironic. Right. And interestingly enough, one of the things that the that this commission talked about weeks after you brought it up was that insurance companies won't cover these other drugs right. that are less addictive than opioids. Now, one of the reason that reasons that I'm I'm sort of hesitant as I talk about this is because 
There is still an agreement um, on the part of the members of this commission that I heard that uh, drug addiction is a disease, Mm -hmm. and it's also getting lumped together with mental health diseases. Right. And I... I'm not sure that I, I like that direction. But that doesn't sit well with you. No, it doesn't sit well with me. Because it's illogical. Right. And I think that's why it doesn't sit if I can evaluate. You can it, absolutely it, evaluate. It doesn't I, sit well with you the same way it doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't sit well with a lot of people. What makes my stomach hurt is when people say, oh, well, I have an addiction. It's like a disease. It's like, you know, it's like if I have diabetes or cancer, it's like, no, 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 stop. Yeah. I, I don't want to hear that because you didn't choose to get cancer the first time you got it or th- at all. Right. You didn't choose diabetes, but people have to realize that it, all addiction begins with, with the, the choice. choice. Exactly. With the choice. Ex- yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. And that, I, I actually had to stop watching the meeting because I I can't go down that road with it. And and so one, one of the things that's being pushed is, you know, there's the whole mental health parity, which is... My understanding is it's basically saying that health insurance should pay as much for mental health care sure. as they do for physical health care. Right. And so they're trying to plug addiction under that. Now, make no mistake, if insurance companies will pay for programs like Narconon, I'm good with that. Sure. And I think they should do that. Addiction has long been considered a spiritual disease. Like mm. in AA, when they talk about a disease, they're not talking about some organic disease they're not talking about necessarily a mental health issue they're talking about it being a spiritual disease which then got turned into well it's a mental disease well that's cool because we've got tons of medications for that right and um that's how it's evolved to where it is now when you're saying they want to put it put it in like the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders as a mental disorder and you have addiction in there it's probably and, already in there but all it's going to do is it's going to go into the dsm it's going to have a medication indicated for it and then we're off and running in the wrong direction yet again right and it bothers me right well it totally bothers me i i, I understand if you go into surgery you right. can't come out from surgery and not have some medication for pain. I don't disagree with that. Or you're getting your wisdom teeth out and your head is pounding. Right. You know, and so that was a, a good portion of what they were talking about is is pain management. And that I agree with that, you know, alternatives for handling pain are definitely something that needs to happen. Sure. And there's definitely a lot of attention on that mm-hmm. from pharmaceutical companies. But just then when it started going down the road of, you know, it's a disease, it's a mental disease, let's come up with all these mental health type solutions. That's where I, I, I just I just think that they're getting off the road there. They kind of lost you there. They kind of lost me. They kind of lost me there too. I, and, and I think it's unfortunate. And, and one of the reasons that we talk over and over again on this podcast, and the reason why, yes, this is the addiction podcast, but it's sponsored by Narcan on Suncoast because there's a solution there. There is. And this is what I want to, um, I really want to see how we can maybe contact some of these people and let them know that there there's another solution. Yeah. And it exists is. and it works and, you know. Yeah. Now back to pain management. It's interesting you bring it up because I've done some research and seen some inter- and read some interviews done with physicians and surgeons and you know, people in the medical profession, and most of them agree that, okay, sure, you have major surgery, you're going to need some sort of pain management. But 
opiates as as a tool for pain management isn't really necessary after about 24 to 48 hours post op that after that it can easily be handled with you know NSAIDs non-steroidal anti-inflammatories right um it can be handled you know Advil things like that it's totally manageable but what doctors are doing is they're they're prescribing high doses of very strong opiates for a long period of time and that's more or less what's causing the addiction I understand if you get your wisdom teeth out, like you said, or you get a surgery, and you go home with four Vicodin pills. Right. Not 30. Right. Not 30, and then call me if you need a refill. Right. And what happens is after 30 are gone in two days, you lost your prescription, quote unquote. Right. And go back to the doctor, and he says, oh, well, I'll just do this, and they'll give you more. And that's what's causing the problem. I don't disagree with opiates being used medically. Right. If they're used responsibly, knowing what can happen, knowing what can happen, because now we know. Right. We right. see, I mean, you look at the past, you know, 12 or 13 years, and you've got, you know, opiate overdoses and, op- you know, and deaths attributed to opiates surpassing gun homicides and car accidents. It right. used to be car accidents were the number one thing that killed people. Right. At least in the United States. Right. Now we're so far beyond that, that. The opioid epidemic itself has spun off two other epidemics. Right. So the opioid crisis is, is old news kind of Yeah. at this point. Unfortunately, I mean, it's been around for so long. Then there's been the benzo, the benzodiazepine epidemic. I, I don't know if we've talked about this. I'm going to mm-hmm. briefly touched on it, but there's a benzodiazepine epidemic that went unnoticed as the opiate epidemic was being cre- was being created and, and moving forward. And what happened was, is that very often people with painful um, situations or painful conditions will get prescribed anti-anxiety meds because pain can induce anxiety in people. Is that what a benzo is? A benzodiazepine is a class of drugs that's used to treat anxiety. Okay. So a benzodiazepine is like Valium, Xanax, Clonopin, Ativan, right. you know, stuff like that. Right. And um, at, the very, at the very same time the opiate epidemic was kind of moving its way up, you know, as far as the, the damage it was creating – the benzodiazepine epidemic was surpassing it, but it was going unnoticed because these are drugs that are considered psychiatric medications. They're, you know, for all intents and purposes, but they're narcotics. They act, they can get you high. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people that abuse anti-anxiety they're meds. In, they're addictive, right? They're very high. They're very addictive. See? They're very addictive. And we have, there's tons of people that abuse it. The other thing is that uh, anti-anxiety meds are also given when you go to medical detox for opiate addiction. Okay. So that's wow. really easy to trade an addiction real quick. Yeah. Is that you get it in in uh in med detox is a way to get off the drugs you're on. We'll just give you this drug over here to handle some of your symptoms. And you know, a lot of opiate addicts get anxiety around withdrawal and they get anxiety around their life situation when the drugs are gone is nothing's, you know, numbing it out or putting it in the background and they're kind of like the static is gone. They can kind of see the condition of their lives and that causes anxiety. So Frequently, people are just given anxiety meds. It's so easy to get prescribed Xanax. I can't even tell you. All you have to do is walk into an office, you know, to a doctor's office and say, you know what? I just, I can't sleep and I'm getting this heart pounding and I just, I get just anxiety all the time. It's just really hard. You'll walk out with a large prescription of an anti-anxiety med, like no problem. And so there was an, there there was an epidemic with anti-anxiety drugs directly alongside the opiate epidemic, except it went unnoticed because 
with the opiate epidemic, that's what made the news headlines. That's what was killing people left and right. right. That's when, you know, we had the problems with the overprescription uh, of pain pills and then the heroin and then this and then that. Meanwhile, there's this like anti-anxiety medication, uh, major problem happening next to it. Just no one noticed it. Right. Nobody noticed it. And it was funny because as the opiate epidemic was increasing and people were going to treatment, there was a huge increase in people going to treatment for opiates and benzodiazepines together, but it wasn't being noticed, reported, or talked about. Wow. So we had that, right? Yep. And then in, in addition to that is the methamphetamine epidemic. Right. So we can't forget meth. How can, right. we, how can we forget meth? <laughs> exactly. Meth is still there. Meth is yep. a big, bad drug that's out there. And I can tell you from experience, I do most of the intakes right. at Narconon. When people right. come in, I do the intakes. I do their paperwork. I do their drug history. I do their drug test. I, I see what they're on, at least the males. Right. And um, there's so many people that come in, I'm on this, this, and this, and this, and meth. Like, why is the meth the last thing you tell me about? That's the one of the worst things that you're on. Right. So a lot of right now is opiates and meth and benzos. Those are the three most frequently abused drugs that we see in the people that are coming into the program. And that's a nationwide trend. That's just not us. I remember but, you telling me that. Yeah, that's yeah. a nationwide trend. That it used to be a California thing, but not or Midwest thing. And well, no, meth so used to be considered, you know, a very, you know, rural trailer parky, just right. low class drug. Right. And it wasn't all over the country. Like it used to be only in like the Western U.S. and like some, you know, sprinkled throughout the Midwest. Right. But now it's everywhere. It's it's absolutely everywhere. It's in every town. It's in every city. It's in every state. It's it's everywhere. I mean, the Mexican cartels have flooded the entire country with meth, and it's a cheaper, stronger high than cocaine for those people that use coke. And a lot of addicts who use heroin will use it if they get too high on opiates. They'll counteract it with meth and shoot upwards instead of continuing downwards. And I have actually known people that were close to overdosing. They knew it. They shot up meth as a solution. Okay. That's a good solution, isn't did it, it? Did it work? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I'd like to say probably not in the long right. run. But yeah, I mean, that's... So we've got these three epidemics right. all spun off by right. the opiate epidemic. So right. now they've coined a new term. They've coined the term syndemic. And a syndemic, it's a theory at this point. But the syndemic theory is that like you've got all these different epidemics playing off and feeding off each other. Right. That's thus creating huge public health problems. Like right now, there's a huge uh, increase in new HIV infections, hepatitis C infections, infectious endocarditis, and uh, uh, higher rates of sexually transmitted diseases in different little, they're calling them hotspots throughout the country. And what they've started to do is that public... Uh, public health officials in, on the state level and the local level have all been gathering data and mapping it so they can see where these different hotspots are so that they can, you know, get resources in those areas mm-hmm. to help with what's going on. So, like, you see, you know, HIV infections going on over here and you've got overdoses happening over here and you've got sexually transmitted diseases up here. You can start putting the right provisions in place to contain it. Right. But is cellulitis is that part of that? Is yeah, that one yeah, of those that's called that that's, happens that's when soft, you shoot up something that's not supposed to be shot up and then it, soft tissue infections. Yeah, that's okay. what that's called. And uh, everyone, for those of you who don't know what infectious endocarditis is, from using 
you know, not clean needles or not cleaning your skin before you shoot up or somehow, some way in an IV drug user, they'll get a bacterial infection that they'll literally shoot into their veins. They'll end up in their heart and it'll actually affect the heart valves. And so if if it's not treated, it's completely deadly. And there's been a huge increase in people dying from infectious endocarditis. Someone I know personally has died from that. I was someone my sister grew up with, um, passed away a year after being clean because the, the, the infection I guess was dormant until it was too late. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, well, and, and I'm going to, this is like, I I don't know this for a fact, but you know, Tom Petty died. Yes. And yesterday, right? Yeah. And I believe that in his past, in his earlier years, you know, he, you know, definitely, you know, did drugs and mm-hmm. I, it's got to affect the heart long term, you know? Yeah. I mean, he was a notorious cocaine heroin user. Okay, good. Then I'm not, I'm not saying something bad about him. That isn't no, true. That's, that's but you un- figure even if he's been clean for years and years and years and years, there's residual effects that happen on the body, which we've talked about over and over again, which, which also is, is one of the interesting things in the, uh, you know, the truth about drugs materials right. where you listen to some of the addicts, the former addicts, sure. and how they had pieces of the intestine removed and right. old dentures because all the teeth fell out. You yeah. know, it's like there's long-term effects, guys, and that's what I thought about, you know, because Petty is, was my age. Yeah, I'm you not know? I'm now I'm not gonna say how old he was. I don't want to dime you out. That's fine. But um, he's my age, he's in his sixties. Yeah. He's in his sixties. Right. And so you know, it's not like he was 90 or something and you don't think it's unusual. Right. To die in your 60s these days is a bit unusual. It's unusual. You know, unless, you know, you've had heavy yeah. abuse done to your body. Which brings up a very interesting topic to me. And nobody talks about this. What? People think that drug addiction or addiction in general is relegated just for younger people. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. a whole group of older people that are completely hooked on drugs. I got a call and I, I'm saying this because I didn't know what to say to this person. I didn't know if it was a fake call. I didn't know if it was, re- I thought they were messing with me. A, a, a woman was calling for her 85 year old mother that's addicted to morphine mm-hmm. and is completely out of control, addicted to morphine. What she does on a daily basis, she goes doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor to get more morphine and will actually feign illness to go to the hospital because she knows that she can because she's older and that people will cater to her if she's in pain and they'll take her to the hospital and she gets shot up with morphine dilated and go home. And I said to her, I, I couldn't, I didn't know what to say. I like, I couldn't bring a, I don't know if I could bring an 85 year old person into rehab, but then again, why not? Yeah. If as long as, I mean, if they're, if, if they can pass the physical, but it's interesting you say that because the woman who cuts my hair is probably a good 10 years younger than I am. So mm-hmm. she's probably in her early fifties and her mother-in-law lived with her mm-hmm. for years. And every time I would go see her, she would talk about her mother-in-law's addiction and the pills that she would take yeah. every day and how my friend would have to control that medication mm-hmm. because she would abuse it if yeah. she could, you know? And finally, after, oh, I don't know how many years, I, you know, the woman was in an assisted living facility. She actually recently passed away. But I, the stories that my hairdresser would tell me about her mother-in-law and the drugs and how she would act on the drugs and how, you know, mean she would be if my friend didn't give her the drugs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just so, and her, she had to have been in her 80s, I would say. So, yeah. yeah it's something yeah. people don't talk about. No. It's almost like a taboo thing. Oh, you don't talk about 
grandma's addiction or, you know, mom's addiction. Yeah. It's like, well, you have to understand that humans are humans. We're, we're beings. We're people. And addiction and is addiction, addiction no matter is addiction. what age It's going to affect are. you no matter yeah. what. It doesn't yeah. matter how old you are. It exactly. doesn't matter where you're from or, you know, how you were raised. Addiction can affect anybody. You know, we have some people at, at Narconon right now, and we have in the past, they're well into their 70s. They've come into, you know, come into treatment because things got way, 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 way too bad for them, and they couldn't control what they were doing. And it's not just alcohol either. Doctors will throw pills at older people. Yeah. Just, I mean, they'll throw pills at anybody, but I right. feel like an older individual that's complaining about this or that will much more easily get medication than a 20 something year old complaining of the same thing because I don't think doctors even think that older people are getting addicted to the drugs that they're giving them, but they absolutely are. In, in troves, I'm telling you, I have had more calls than ever this week for kids of their older parents who are addicted to one thing or another or multiple things. Wow. And it's not just alcohol. Most people think older people are just going to, you know, be addicted to alcohol and, you know, grandma has one too many martinis and, you know, dad has a couple extra beers more than he yeah. should. And it's like, no, 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 no. We've got older people that are IV drug addicts. We've got older people that are pill addicts. Yeah. We've got older people addicted to a wide range of things because it's just given to them. Yep. This woman was pills. You know, and right. she, I don't think she had anything that was that, you know, grossly wrong with her. I think right. she may have had some rheumatoid arthritis or whatever, but, you know, it was just to the point where the, you know, the use of the medications was just out of control. Yeah. Back in the fifties, uh, Valium was called mother's little helper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that That's an interesting thing. You know, back in the day, we used to market drugs to housewives. That's actually how Ritalin, one of the ways Ritalin started. Oh. Um, it was marketed as a, as a pick me up drug. Um, not only was it indicated for ADD later on, but it was more geared to like middle-aged housewives. Yeah. So, you know, you look back through history and I'm talking thousands of years, drugs have been a in mind altering substances have been a part of our culture forever, yeah. but it's now more than ever completely out of control to the point where we're coining a term called a syndemic. Like, I don't know if that's ringing right for some people because that means we took something that was an epidemic Bad enough as it is, killing tons of people, stealing children from parents and parents from children. But now we've got a bigger, scarier monster that's a syndemic that's just spun other epidemics up and they've all fed off each other. Now we've created a massive public health, you know, crisis. Yep. And, yep. and that's where we're at. I yep. mean, that's a very, very scary place to be. Like, I, I imagine like the end of the world isn't about nuclear war and it's not about, you know, just us in like North Korea blowing the entire planet. It's more like self-destruction. It's more like yeah. the human race is just yeah. going to self-destruct itself until like, you know, you have what looks like a post-apocalyptic, you know, wasteland and the few survivors are walking around in a drug-induced haze going, hey, where did everybody go? Yeah. And, you, but that's what I imagine in my head and that's a, that's a scary thought. Yeah, well... We're not going to go there. We're going to keep talking. <laughs> we're definitely going to keep talking. We're going to we're going to help avoid that. On the good side too, one of the things I wanted to say about this commission is their second meeting. They were talking about a report, and one of the things that they were putting a lot of attention on was educating, right? Educating doctors about alternatives to opioids. You know the long term effect of opioids. And also, you know, putting in place a lot of the regulatory things on opioids, right. at least in the medical area. I mean, in the illegal area, you know, I don't know, 
you know, that obviously we try and regulate against that. But they, they, there, there are some good things that I read in the second one about what they were going to propose in terms of, you know, education. Because I've had that brought up to me before from doctors saying that other doctors, when they do continuing education, they need to be educated on opioids and how addicted they are and that there are alternatives. So, you know, definitely some, some good things happening out there. We just need to keep, you know, we need to keep educating people, I think, on, on what, on what's happening. We still have to talk some more. We're not done talking, but anyway, (laughs) no, we have to keep, we have to keep moving in there. We have to keep moving in the right direction. And and, and we are, I mean, education is the first step to you know, prevention is the first step to fighting addiction is to keep new people from being addicted, you know, in the, you know, moving forward. And so the more we can educate people and the more there's different groups out there that are willing to educate people and the better our government educates, you know, the public and professionals, we might start to see a turnaround on this thing. This thing might start to turn around if we could just prevent the new generations from picking up drugs in the first place. But here's the thing. It's like, okay, so, People are going to have surgeries and people are going to have medical problems. Right. What's to prevent that person that needs that medication for a day or two from becoming an addict after that point? Well, that's and that's why I think some of these alternatives that are being developed that are not addictive like opioids are, that's where I think that they have their place. I'm not I'm not a scientist, so I don't know exactly how they work. And maybe when we can interview the pharmacologist friend that I have, she can tell us a little bit more about that. But you know, that's why I think, you know, that some of the pharmaceutical companies are coming up with alternatives right. that are not addictive, you know? And I think that's the the direction we need to go in because yeah. I, I've heard my brother-in-law was talking about this drug that's being created that is, um, it's, it, it affects the opiate receptors, but not to the point where it gives any kind of euphoria or high from it, but it has the analgesic painkilling effect. Right. That would be great. Yep. That would be fine if it's not something people are going to abuse. Right. And it's not something that's going to, you know, cause people to pawn every item in their house to get, then I think that's a good thing. I think that's a step in the right direction. I think so too. And and again, it's, you know, give give them enough to where they can get through whatever pain is they're going to experience and then that's it, you know? So recently I was, I walked back through uh, the administrative offices. I was printing something out. On, on the uh, on the printer, I went out to the printer and I picked up what wasn't the thing I printed out, but it happened to be this amazing success story mm-hmm. that uh, one of our students on the program had written. And um, one thing that people don't realize is that there's tons of veterans out there that right. struggle with addiction. Right. Tons. Right. And a lot of them, the only you know resources they have are the VA. Right. And the VA is huge waiting list. A lot of times it's not the best treatment and you can equate it to free or state funded, you know, drug treatments, which you'll get the VA. And it's not often that they find, you know, program like Narconon. Right. And um, this person happened to find Narconon. This guy was a Marine and he had the most amazing turnarounds. This guy had, you know, been deployed, um, you know, many, 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 many times. And he had seen kind of too many things in his deployments. Right. The more things than he was okay with seeing, right? That these uh these memories haunted him, and right. these memories basically controlled his life. And the only way he knew how to get rid of them was through medicating himself, was drugs through, and alcohol, taking yeah. drugs and alcohol, you can forget it then, and just yep. forgetting absolutely yep. everything. Yeah, and um, 
nothing had ever helped. He had done the VA treatments. He had done psychiatric treatments. He had done, you know, 12 step and everything else in between until he found Narcanon. And in this success story, I remember it saying, finally, something allowed me to gain control of my thoughts again. Mm, interesting. Isn't that interesting? It's very interesting. Was it, did he say at what point on the program that he felt that that had happened? He said going through, he was in the success story, he talked about going through sauna helped to clear his body out to where he felt healthy again. Right. And he felt like he could make a logical choice in life. Right. Because when you're clouded by drug use, you can't make logical decisions. Mm-hmm. You and when you have you, the cravings, the physical cravings. You, you don't have you don't have the ability to make logical choices. We said it wasn't until he got into the objectives course that he felt like he actually had control not only of his thoughts again, but in the entire world around him. Like he right. felt like he wasn't a victim of the world around him. Right. Because that's how he felt at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that he actually felt like in better control of his life, his environment, and his thoughts. Wow. And those are three things that most addicts never think they'll ever gain control over because one of the biggest fights an addict has is with their own is with their own mind. Right. And everything they've experienced in life. Right. Those are the things that control them. Those are the things that make them do what they do. And they give up at some point. Yeah. I gave up at some yeah. point. I'm like, there's never going to be a shot. And you know what? That I'll ever be able to control what I think, how I think, and what I do. Because this is how I am. This is just me. And people have to, people have to realize it's not just you. It's right. the drugs. They're causing that. Right. And all the experiences in between. And then he was actually right. He wrote in the success story. He was terrified to go into life skills because he didn't want to look at what he had become. Mm-hmm. And what created it. But he said, you know, it's funny. It, the, this program does it in a way that you feel safe yep. about discussing what's actually happened with you. What you've seen, what you've done. Well, exactly. Uh, yeah. It, it's so safe the way it's set up to where you can really confront the parts of your life that you don't necessarily feel good about. Yeah. And there's, but but there's, be, take responsibility without pain, you know? Yeah. He yeah. said he said there were things he never talked about with a therapist or things he never talked about in AA because he felt like he couldn't. But here he said, you know what? what what's the worst that's going to happen? Right. Someone judges me. So what? Yep. Someone's going to think less of me. Okay. Yep. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that, I mean, that's a huge turnaround from someone that came in a beaten, battered, you know, member of our armed forces yep. that felt like he couldn't talk to anyone, couldn't ever sleep again because of the amount of memories and nightmares and anxiety those things caused him. Wow. And there he was now. Wow. Just opening it up. And he said, you know, there are things I was going to take to the grave with me. Right. But now I don't have to. He said, I actually felt lighter on my feet. Right. I believe after that. After getting yeah. all this stuff off my shoulders. Yeah. Because... These are things he never told anybody. Wow. These are things he never discussed before. And they were the very things that were keeping him in his addiction. Wow. And I, I was... <laughs> I so I wish said, we could have that for all of our veterans. Yeah. I mean, they are they are some of the you know, most valuable and dedicated American citizens that we have. Yeah. And the fact that they don't have access to this type of treatment is just... Well, we're trying to set ourselves up to take TRICARE. Yeah. Yeah, and Tricare is one of the better insurances you get through. Uh, I think I don't think I don't know if it's, it's through the military. I don't yeah. think it's through the VA. But we're we're trying to set ourselves up to take it because we'll get t- we get tons and tons and tons of phone calls. Yep. about p- veterans that their only resource is Tricare. 
Right. And so we're setting ourselves up to be able to, to take it, which would be awesome. Yep. Um, if we could help more veterans, like, yes. like you said, they're very, yeah. they're some of the most important members of our society. I mean, look at what they've done for our country, you yeah. know, and, and yeah, they've seen some pretty bad stuff and they need help. Yeah. And so, yeah, I thought it was interesting. That's an awesome story. About that it. by yeah, habits, awesome. by habit stance, I happened to go back to the printer and the thing I needed didn't print out, but this got spit out of the printer somehow by someone else in the facility. I printed it. And I this was this was a success story I'd never seen. Wow! I feel like I've, I they all should come through me at some point. Yeah, and um, they mostly do, but I've never seen this one. That's so And funny. I was just reading it and reading. It. I was like, wow, this is absolutely amazing. Wow! When did he finish? Uh I think it was a few months ago. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was a few months ago, and since then he's doing really, really, really well. Wow! And you know, the guy said, you know, for the first for the first time in two and a half years, I'm actually excited to live life again. Wow! Why did you see Phil talk to us? What? Why don't you see Phil talk to us? Oh, absolutely! On the podcast? I could absolutely try to do. I that. would love that. Yeah, because I would be love really cool. to reach out to families of veterans and yeah, you know, and tell them that there's actually hope and there's, you know, there is rehab they can do because I understand why they would turn to drugs and alcohol. Absolutely. That if they have no other solution for the things that they've seen and mm-hmm. the things that they've done, because that's what they had to do. That's and, right. you know, so if we could help those guys, that would be awesome. That I agree. Cool. Ask, I, him I, if I agree. ask him if he'll come and talk to us well, and tell us the story. I yeah, like that. I will. And hopefully yeah. I'll have a guest here next week to share a success story Perfect. is the plan here. So I'm just going to... Perfect. And, not, I got a, and I got a couple more interviews that I right. want to set up because... You know, there's a lot of people, you know, that are fighting the good fight. One of the people that I saw yesterday when I was in Orlando is the state attorney for Palm Beach County, Dave Ehrenberg. Mm -hmm. And Dave actually worked for Attorney General Pam Bondi and was... It was his job to shut down the pill mills. Gotcha. And so he did that. And what what he's been going after are these sober houses that we talked about. Oh, yeah. He's been going after them. He said, now... Fortunately or unfortunately, they're moving out of his area and they're coming north. Mm. So we want to keep an eye out for that because we may be seeing more in our area. And one of the things he's doing and his law enforcement agencies down there are doing are educating other law enforcement agencies on what to look for and also how to deal with these sober houses because you can't just walk in and, you know, like shut them down. Like you right. have to, you, there are regulations about mm-hmm. this stuff, as you know, being a rehab facility. Right. But um, yeah, I want to interview him as well. So we'll get some more interviews, get more people talking about, you know, other approaches to what, what we're, what we're looking at. But in the meantime, you're fighting the good fight every day, Jason. Oh, you too. There. Yeah. Well, you sit here with me once a week and fight that same fight. Well, we have to do it because it, it. We have to do it because really, what is going to, I think, help more than anything else is education. Absolutely. And just continuing to educate people that there is hope. Um, I, we're almost done, but I happened to read a blog today about the guy who was addicted to Suboxone. Okay. Did you you know that one right? Yes. Yeah that that was. It's not a cure. It's no. not a solution. No, For no. anybody listening, it's not a solution. And the withdrawal from Suboxone. It's 10 times worse it, than heroin. It's worse than heroin. It, it is lasts, worse than heroin. And it lasts longer. I, I always, one of the first things I ever learned about Narcanon from the guy who at that time was, I think he was running the Narcanon in Los Angeles, was he told me, he said, the, the, I've known this for 40 years now, the withdrawal from methadone 
and Suboxone for that matter, is 10 times worse than, than heroin. Yep. And longer and more arduous. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you want to always be addicted to something and it's going to be Suboxone, well, that's your choice. But if you want to, going to want to come off it, you better come to a group like Narconon so you can actually get off of it. That's right. It's bad stuff. You know, bad yeah. stuff. And I think the guy in the, in the blog story went back to heroin, didn't he? Yes. Okay. That's sad. Okay, so we got to end on an up note. On an up note, the story from the veteran. That yeah, it's a great story. But that goes to show that there are successes that yes. we're having. Yes. And there are wins that are being had. Yep. And we are fighting the good fight and we are making a difference in the world. Yep. Yes, there's a big problem out there, but yes, there's a solution. Yep. And we're going to keep talking about it. That's we're right. going to keep talking about it over and over again. You know, there's the um, eight num- 800 number. It is... Eight seven seven three three nine three three two four. It's anonymous. You can call. You can talk to somebody at Narconon. You don't have to give them your name. You know they can help you. Whether it's you that's addicted or whether it's a fem- family member that's addicted, they can help you if you don't know what to do. If you need intervention, the thing I think that uh, one of the things I think that makes Narconon so special is you guys just help no matter what we do, you know, even if you go and do an intervention and someone won't do the Narconon program or they can't for whatever reason, you guys still help. And I think that that's amazing. You know, the, the drug problem that we have today is because of vested interests. Right. And there's no vested interest at Narconon. There isn't. Nobody is getting rich off of Narconon. No, it's not happening. And these sober houses and the pill mills and all of that, it's all about the money pharmaceutical companies it's all about the money and that's not the case with narconon it is a place where you can actually get help real help and i know a real help and i know that's sometimes hard for people to really grasp but because so often they've been told oh we'll help you mm-hmm. and they don't right. they don't get help and it doesn't work for them and so right. unfortunately i think sometimes when you try something like that you think it's something wrong with me mm-hmm. and that's not the case you know it's not you're not getting the help you need and you that's can get right. it from narconon so Hey, Jason, it's good to be with you again in the same space. Yes. I like it way better this way. It's Skype much is better. like, eh, it kind of works. <laughs> but um, anyway, we'll, we'll meet up again next week and we'll talk again. I'll see you then. Okay. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 